Hey guys, and welcome to episode number 84 of the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. You're joined by your hosts, Tierra and Jack, for what is another Q&A today. However, before we get into the questions, we just wanted to remind you that if you do enjoy these episodes, please remember to repost them onto your Instagram stories, tag myself, tag Tierra, tag TBD. Also, if you are interested in our coaching services, just a reminder that you can head over to our website, www.thebodybuildingdietitians.com, and you can find that link in any of our Instagram bios. Also, we don't exclusively coach physique competitors, so we have spots open for general lifestyle clients as well. Remember, we are dietitians, so we have the qualifications to help everybody, regardless of your health and fitness goals. Absolutely, and we sure do love helping anyone and everyone that does have health and fitness goals. So without further ado, getting into the first question of today, this one says, have you personally ever tried a fad diet such as keto, veganism, or intermittent fasting? So Jack, have you ever gone on a fad diet? <laughs> yes, I, I have, and not, not necessarily the conventional fad diets because I don't think they were even, those things weren't even really popularized back then Mm -hmm. and it sounds like I'm saying I'm super old but this (laughs) was back (laughs) in the day (laughs) this was probably like seven to eight years ago when I was like first got into training and like I thought that you could kind of just do like a week of of dieting and kind of get the body that you wanted Mm -hmm. so I think I was doing it with my brother Julian and that was back when he used to train quite a lot as well and I remember this this thing we went through for probably maybe like a month or two and we were going away to the beach or something and I wanted to get leaner for that <laughs> and this was probably with only like six months of training under my belt and yeah I, I can't even remember exactly what I did but I one thing I do remember remember clearly is drinking green tea with honey in it <laughs> really what yeah. was what was the purpose behind that what's the magic behind that <laughs> i because green tea used to be touted as like a fat burner so yeah. that would <laughs> that was why and yeah i remember my training being solid but just my diet i was basically on a starvation diet and my brother julian he he was basically doing the same training, but he he's he was never as restricted as me, mm-hmm. and like unsurprisingly, he ended up looking bigger and better. And, and for anyone who doesn't know, Julian Jack's brother is his identical twin, right? So yeah. Jack knows exactly like if Julian's doing something right, yeah. So they're identical. <laughs> yeah, well, he was getting the compliments, and then I kind of probably just looked a bit malnourished, <laughs> and that was probably the first incident of just like the ritualistic sort of behavior and Mm -hmm. following something that was clearly wrong. And the problem is there was just no other resource in order to, or I couldn't find it. I'm sure there was good resources. I just couldn't find any. Mm -hmm. And another scenario was again in school. And like, we, we, uh, I can't believe I'm saying this, but we used to have, (laughs) we used to go to like the wet and wild in our final year of school. And I did like a crash diet for that as well. And that was probably like a week of, I, I remember clearly eating like egg whites and tuna for that. And that was horrible as well. I ended up looking <laughs> shitty. And I remember going to Wen Wild and then someone was getting like a burger and chips and I basically ate 
all everyone's chips just because I, like, I didn't binge, but I was just craving that high energy food after restricting myself for a week and looking oh, like boy. shit. Yeah, it almost sounds like you went through a really atrocious peak week or something like mm. that. You know, you just ate pure protein, nothing else. You would have just been super flat, super energy deprived, which by the way, is not what you're meant to do in peak week because clearly, yeah, that's too bad. You didn't get to peak for wet and wild, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> But and the yeah, and it was an all boys school as well, I remember. So <laughs> yeah, who the hell were you trying to impress, man? <laughs> and that was probably the two worst scenarios and it's just looking back I don't know why I actually I know why I thought like that. It's just kind of that all or nothing mm-hmm. attitude where like, oh right, if I do this, surely it's gonna work. If I put all this effort in and, and restrict it myself, surely I'm gonna look good. And yeah, I can't really think... The other scenarios would be like, like in my early years, like the first year of uni where I just tried to stay lean mm-hmm. year-round and did lots of yo-yo dieting and, again, thought I could do a two-week cut and, and get really lean. And the reality is when I look back on photos, I was lean the whole year-round, which is why I didn't make any progress. And, yeah, I didn't do any, like, fad diets of keto or paleo or... Like, I didn't cut out any food groups. Did you ever do any sort of intermittent fasting, anything like that? Uh, probably indirectly, but I, would, I mean, the latest I would probably go is like 9 a.m. in the morning, which yeah. isn't that late. Oh, so, <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> yeah, so not really. I think I didn't yeah, eat specific foods because I thought they would be better mm. or I kind of, I guess I was lucky in that aspect where I've always had a fairly wholesome diet. I never cut out anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Yeah, that that's my experience. Not not great, but not I would say it's within the realm of normal for someone who is in our shoes really. Are you sure that you've never tried a vegetarian diet? I have indirectly. I know you asked that question because <laughs> you know I have. So well- <laughs> Because like when Jack and I very first met each other, like we were studying at his house and then Jack kindly gave me a ride home and, uh, you know, we were chatting in the car and uh, like, I was curious about what you ate. Right. And, um, you told me that you followed a vegetarian diet and I was like, Oh really? Like, so do you eat a bunch of tofu and stuff? And you're like, no, I don't eat tofu cause this is too high in estrogen. And I was so, I was so confused. Like you, you called it cause a lot of people in your family, they follow more of a vegetarian style diet right but what were you actually eating in that case because it wasn't exactly super vegetarian was it (laughs) (laughs) it it was when i was actually vegetarian i was vegetarian for like three months and i was having like egg whites yogurt yeah those are my sources of protein i was i guess Maybe pescatarian because yeah. I would have a fish or two. But oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. But I was a bit confused. And just to um, <laughs> just to disclaim, like that that was back when the tofu really they did think the estrogen would play a role in mm-hmm. hormone disruption. Yeah. But now it's been yeah. They found up. that you know tofu is associated with great cardio metabolic outcomes, right, and a lot of health outcomes. So tofu is perfectly safe to eat, especially for males and females. So yeah, tofu is freaking awesome. But Jack, what about, you know, like why, when you first got into this, why was it that, you know, you thought that you had to train really hard, but the only way to get results was through restricting yourself. Do you know what like initially influenced you at that early age? I think it's, and I, I'm actually grateful that I went through that because I think I'm able to help a lot of people who 
And I went through that quite early at like probably 16 or 17. Mm-hmm. But people who don't start training to maybe like 20 or tw- like 20 to 23, they kind of go through that later. Mm-hmm. Where I think for guys, it really stems from looking at these people on social media or on the internet. And like back then, I didn't even have Instagram. I just saw it on like simplyshredded.com or <laughs> bodybuilding.com. It's and, simple to get shredded, bruh. <laughs> and. Actually, that probably played a role as well because Sim- Simply Shredded, like that used to be the website and I would, because we used to use laptops in school, I would just go on that website or YouTube <laughs> and um, basically they used to have, oh, this is how I trained because they used to have different biographies of all the athletes like mm-hmm. Aaron Curtis or Jeff Sedge and all those guys and they would have their training and their diet and the training was always a bro split. The diet was always like, fish and potatoes and Mm -hmm. tilapia and all that but what was the question again (laughs) so pretty much why why oh yeah yeah okay (laughs) i get it um so yeah looking at those guys i think basically that it makes you think you can look like that or that you have to look like that and the reality is it probably takes like six to eight years of training to have the muscle maturity to to look like that for starters, but then they're also lean combined with that. Mm-hmm. And those photos are always taken at the peak of their leanness or in a comp prep or under amazing lighting after a, a carbohydrate protocol or something like that. And we're looking at these photos having like six months of training under my belt thinking, oh, I have to look like this. So the only way, if I don't look like that right now, then how the only way I'm going to get there is by mm-hmm. restricting myself and getting leaner. Like I'm not going to get there by eating more food and getting more body fat. That doesn't make sense. So I think that's kind of where I was coming from in that respect. And I just didn't really understand the, the time factor and that what required was just more time and more training more muscle yeah i guess that makes a lot of sense because if they're putting up a photo of this guy with like freaking ripped abs right and then they're asking what's your diet obviously in order to get to that peak condition where he's super shredded and lean he's sharing his his diet that he's dieting on right in Mm. order to lose weight he's in a deficit and uh, perhaps in that case, I guess on Simply Shredded, they didn't have a bunch of dudes in the peak of their improvement season or off season, right? Like sharing their uh, majorly high caloric intakes. So it was mainly just the shredding diets, you think? Yeah, I think we got to remember that those guys, they don't have, they're not renowned <laughs> coaches themselves. Like yeah. <laughs> they're, they're not dietitians. So they what they're doing is, isn't necessarily right either, which yeah. makes it doubly mm-hmm. worse. Yeah. And well, they, just... they, they're not going to say, yeah, I eat Pop-Tarts or I eat a nice hearty breakfast of wholemeal mm-hmm. toast with some eggs and some avocado. Yeah. They're, they're going to say like the typical bro foods because that's what they feel like they should say. Yeah, exactly. And they're probably not going to let you know like, hey, I've actually had to lose 10 or 15 kilograms with, you know, an interesting supplement protocol in yeah. order to actually look like this. So they're leaving that part of out, of the, out of the equation. But I'm so glad you shared that, you know, because certainly a lot of females go through this. They look up to their idols and they're like, oh my gosh, she looks so amazing right like I want to eat exactly what she eats and I want to do her exact training program but it's so awesome to hear you well, I think just as many guys go through it yeah like, that's it's so important that you've shared that right because mm. yeah there's just like there's different sort of there's just different personalities and some guys who I knew back in the day like they would just they wouldn't really care about what they looked like they would just 
train and eat and mm -hmm. as a result they got freaking strong like there were guys in my year like benching over 100 kilos um <laughs> in high school which is i've i mean i've only recently achieved that and so yeah. and did that frustrate you at the time because you're like man i'm training so hard and i'm eating all these foods on simply shredded.com why am i not benching 100 kilograms yeah it did frustrate me and <laughs> i guess part of that just made me a bit more persistent though because that's mm -hmm. kind of how i work and what were the main things you changed, obviously, when you went to university and you started learning about sports nutrition? Did that, well, we know that majorly influenced how you started to train and eat, but what were the main take-homes there and main things you changed? That that could be a whole podcast, really. Like it <laughs> In <just> a nutshell? <laughs> it wasn't really like a snap of my fingers. It was, was obviously, my degree was almost five years, so throughout that period, things changed and... I mean, probably the most changes were in from like 2018 to now mm -hmm. before I guess gradually I, I kind of implemented different practices like 2016, I like 2015 was another pretty crappy year of where I just restricted myself. Like 2016 was when I was like, okay, it's time to gain some weight, started tracking macros and made sure I was gaining weight at a red, like a moderate pace, not crazy. And that's when I realized, okay, my, I have to eat a lot of food in order to gain weight. Mm -hmm. And that's when my food sources were probably still a bit interesting in terms of like, I would still have this um, massive egg white omelet for breakfast and I would have like, I don't know, uh, different things. <laughs> I remember it was this big bowl of white pasta with the, you know, the tomato sauce on that's it. That's a normal right? meal though. <laughs> Is that a normal meal? I would have protein. No. Oh, yeah. You'd crack the eggs into it and mix it in. Yeah, like yeah. three eggs. That's like over 20 grams of protein. Yeah. And I remember like squeezing my head in the kitchen and be like, hey, have you ever tried brown pasta? And you're like, the only benefit of that, of, of that is extra fiber, right? And I'm like, oh, no, it's actually <laughs> much more micronutrient dense. <laughs> oh, man. But um, yeah, we've definitely come a long way. I think when we first met each other in 2016, right? It was like that first month of dating where we both agreed we're like, man, we both train so hard, but our nutrition and our mentality and our relationship with food is pretty whack. Like yeah. we should start to gain some weight. And it was cool. We actually started to do that together. So, mm. well, I was, yeah, I was a little bit, I'd already kind of made that decision yeah. prior to meeting you. Yeah. Otherwise I would have, we would have been similar weights otherwise. <laughs> Not quite. But. When we first met, you were like 78, 79. I was like 57 kilograms right so yeah you definitely had a positive influence on me i remember we were at the noosa we were like holidaying in noosa and we're like man we should just eat some more food at the buffet because like, <laughs> we should gain a little bit more weight it was it was an exciting time it was an exciting time <laughs> yeah it was yeah but enough about me time to disclose all of your secrets oh boy my secrets my my fad secrets uh Boy, I feel like in my time, I've tried so many, you know, funky diets, so many funky things. And this certainly happened primarily before I went to university and actually started to learn about nutrition science, right? Uh, but I think mainly thing for me was in high school. So in grade 12, I went through this very disordered eating phase. And the main thing for me in, so that was 2014 in grade 12, I was just petrified of fat. I was so scared of fat, right? It actually made me anxious, right? And I was, I was just petrified, right? Um, so, and I got into this cycle of like, I just had to eat these very, very specific foods. So 
for breakfast every single morning after I'd gone for like a 10 kilometer run or I'd gone to the gym and done basketball training, some massive form of exercise, right? I would eat one cup of just plain oats, right? Do you know oats had moderate fat though? No, and I didn't even know that. But yeah, I'd eat one cup of plain oats, with nothing else on them. I, w- I was scared of cinnamon. Like I didn't want to add anything. So just cooked with water and I'd have one banana and one green apple. And I'd also take my multivitamins. <laughs> And I oh yeah, I, I took multivitamins as well. Yeah, and I'd have. And I remember my mum saying as well, Jack, that won't you just piss that out? And she was. <laughs> now I know she's right. So. That's why we know our pee was so yellow, right? But you know, like I'd always have a fish oil tablet, I'd have a vitamin C tablet, and I'd have my multivitamin. And then at morning tea, which was like at like ten forty in the morning, I'd always just have a few green beans or maybe like a cut up capsicum or something. And then lunch, I just have two pieces of Bergen bread with just a massive chicken breast, right? That my dad would cook just this huge chicken breast. That was probably the main source of protein I was getting the whole day. And then I just have this completely plain salad, which is like kale and carrots and, you know, cauliflower, a whole bunch of different mixed vegetables. But again, wouldn't put any salt or pepper, balsamic, anything on that salad. That's all I would eat for the whole day. And I did that for months on end. I did that for the majority of grade 12. And in the space of like two months, I lost around 10 kilograms or more. Yeah, looking back, school lunches were probably one of the hardest things because like I'm not talking about more nutritionally because like you wouldn't, I personally, I sometimes just couldn't be bothered or I would be rushed and then I wouldn't want anything from the tuck shop. And then you would end up just not eating anything. And then oh, that's, really? and then I would, you would train in the afternoon as well. Or I would go to the gym in the afternoon. So. God, I felt, well, I was so freaking food focused, but like I would just, it's almost like I got like addicted to feeling almost hypoglycemic and hungry. Like I liked feeling like that. I liked feeling like I, but walking between classes, I was about to fall over, which is totally sick. But like, I don't know. I was, um, it was, it was weird. But yeah, I would pretty much just have my breakfast at like 8 a.m. And then that morning, those green beans at 1040 and then lunch was at like 1 p.m. And then I wouldn't eat for the rest of the day. I wouldn't eat anything in the afternoon. I wouldn't eat dinner. And so that was kind of like intermittent fasting, man. I was what eating within a five hour window. So I was intermittent fasting for 19 hours during the day. And mind you, right? Like I was training. But you you had to clarify that you didn't eat anything for dinner. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't eat anything for dinner. Yeah, that's the thing. And boy, I did this for months on end. And I was training in the morning. I was doing either cross country or I was doing athletics or I'd go to the gym for an hour. Then I'd play basketball for 45 minutes. And in the afternoon, I'd have like hockey training for an hour, right? Or I would have volleyball and hockey. Or I would go and waitress all night at a Thai restaurant for like three or four hours. And so freaking active, eating hardly anything. No wonder my body started to fade away. And also because I was following such a low fat diet, one, and also I was only having chicken breast for my protein, which I was eating a big ass chicken breast. That thing was probably close to like maybe 80 to 100 grams of protein. What the hell? It was, a dude, dad bought the biggest chicken breasts, but I'm grateful for that um, because I wouldn't weigh anything. I would just do things in like singles. So like one yeah. chicken breast, one banana. And um, I would always try to pick the biggest ones because I'm like, okay, if I'm only going to have one, I'm going to pick the biggest one still in a massive caloric deficit. 
But yeah, uh, because I was consuming so little fat, especially, I started to get these bruises all over my body. And I still actually don't know what that's from. I think it was a combination of, you know, having such a low fat diet and um, not being able to absorb the fat soluble vitamins in my food, especially vitamin K. We know that vitamin K is really important for blood coagulation. So I think- Could have been iron deficiency as well. Could have been iron deficiency as well. And also just not consuming enough protein, literally doing so much exercise, especially with my legs and running, right? I had these awful bruises all over my legs and it must've been a combination of my, like just bruising from the inside, not my blood, not coagulating, just literally breaking down my muscles. So it was absolutely awful. So would not recommend. Uh, so yeah, I was petrified of fat. I was scared that like my parents were starting to like lace the salt in our cupboard with fat because they wanted to fatten me up. Or one time I dropped an oat onto the counter and then I threw it back into my bowl. And I still remember that to this day because I was petrified that, oh my God, what if there was a molecule of oil on the counter and then I've just touched that with my oat. Like I was crazy, man. But then did a flipping complete 180. At the end of grade 12, my parents showed me this a documentary on Catalyst, where it was these athletes who were consuming a high fat diet, right? They had this famous cricketer, was it Shane Warren? Is that his name? That is a cricketer, but yeah. I don't know if that was the guy. I'm pretty sure that was him, Shane Warren. Um, and he was on this Catalyst documentary and he was like, I've never been able to lose weight, but once I transferred over to a high fat diet, right? I had all these health benefits and I finally, the weight finally started to drop off. And I had like restricted myself so much from fat for a whole year. I was like, just like immediately convinced by this documentary. I'm like, I'm going to go on a high fat diet, right? So I completely cut carbs out of my diet. And I think that's the, <laughs> it's interesting you say that because that's kind of what sums up not having enough education yeah. is like, because, because you don't know, you didn't understand why high carbohydrate or why a high fat diet was good. So you were able to be convinced and do that complete 180. <laughs> exactly. And it was also partially like you wanted to do it because you were missing oh, fat. I wanted it so bad, man, because I was like, whoa, like this past year, I've had enough of oats and fruit and bread. Like I want like peanut butter. I want fatty meat again, you know, like I want avocados. So I did a complete 180 and went on this high fat diet. So I started every single morning, I'd make these things like cream cheese pancakes. So you just blend. Did um, you notice any weight gain? No, I was still in a major deficit. So I was still losing weight, bruh. But like, cause I didn't have any carbs in me, right? I was so freaking flat. I had like no muscle on me. I was just this skinny little stick. And I was like, I eat avocado and cream cheese every morning. And I'm so thin. <laughs> look at me, right? Like, ew, look at you, right? But anyway, I'd like, if you blend um, eggs and cream cheese and cinnamon, you can make these cream cheese pancakes crazy high in fat, but oh my God, the taste so good. I'd cover that in butter and coconut oil. And then on the side, I'd eat like half an avocado and some fatty sausages or something. Wow, or like, <laughs> it was heaven compared to what I was having before. Or like for lunch, I'd have this big salad, but I'd put like a bunch of feta cheese and olive oil and like a big Surely fatty steak that. on it and stuff like that. But you have to mind you, I was doing so much exercise still. At this time I was doing completely long distance running and I was, um, I was convinced that, oh, you know, cause I'm an endurance athlete. Like I can use fat as fuel. Oh God. I wasn't, I wasn't, I thought I was on a keto diet. I was actually just on a very high fat, very high protein, very low carbohydrate diet. 
But definitely that first week of transitioning, right? Not having any carbs in my diet, I felt like that fatigue was so awful. Like I remember one day walking to work and I'm like, oh my God, I can feel it. Like I just want- It's like a constant comp prep. Oh, I just wanted like a piece of fruit so bad. I was like, my brain needs glucose. Even though I just ate like a pork chop covered in olive oil. Like. <laughs> I was like, uh, it was insane. But anyway, finally, once we went to university, right? I thank God within like the very first month of actually starting to learn about nutrition science and sports nutrition, even though in that first semester it was still basic shiz, right? Like I, I accepted, I was like, okay, Tiara, right? you want to be a dietitian one day you can't go around right just excluding whole food groups right and you can't do this you have to actually apply what you're learning to yourself right if you actually want to practice what you preach and feel good and if this actually wants to be sustainable so finally after a few months like march 2015 that's when i was still on a high fat diet but then i started to incorporate more carbohydrates in and finally my diet became very balanced like I was consuming a little bit of everything probably still very orthorexic at this point but even then I was consuming whole foods but from fats <laughs> and carbohydrates and protein right but thank god thank god for education if I wouldn't have gone to uni perhaps I could have still been stuck in that spot which was so awful uh but yeah I've definitely done some freaking wacky things but i'm so forever grateful for our education because that finally taught me that like hey no you can have a little bit of everything and nutrition it's very very complex and i'm so freaking grateful for that but i'm also grateful to have gone through those really mm. strange periods because it's made me who i am yeah i think if we hadn't have gone through that i don't think mine was as I don't want to use the word bad, but it wasn't quite as intense as yours. <laughs> Whack. <laughs> Just freaking weird. <laughs> but I think going through that ourselves, like one, that kind of what made us pursue nutrition, mm -hmm. but also made us want to help others as well. Cause we, we're not, we're not anomalies in this, like where I think so many people also go through this and mm -hmm. we've seen so many other people go through it. Yeah. But it makes you a relatable human being, you know? If you were to just be like, I've never made a mistake in my life, I've never been restrictive at all, la-di-da, I'm a perfect human being, like you could never relate to any of your clients, right? And that's the great thing about being a coach and being a good coach is you can actually relate to other people, right? And you can empathize and you can say like, hey, I understand this is really tough because I've been there before, but I promise you like with hard work, it can get better. But even then, you know, it's not like a flick of a switch, right? It's not like I was like, okay, cool. I'm just going to start being super duper balanced and incorporating food from every single macronutrient. And, uh, you know, life is going to be dandy. I'm going to have an amazing relationship with food. I was still crazy orthorexic for a really, really long time. And like, I convinced myself that in order to be healthy, like I had to eat certain foods every single day. Like if I didn't add kale to my nice cream or my smoothie, I was unhealthy. You know, mm. if I didn't have a teaspoon of coconut oil every single day, I was unhealthy, right? I had to do these very ritualistic things. I, it got to the point where like I was traveling with my coconut oil. Like <laughs> I 
would go down and visit my sisters in Melbourne, right? And I would actually take my little jar of coconut oil in my carry-on bag because I was like, one, if my luggage gets lost, right? Or it might break in my luggage. But if my luggage gets lost, I won't have my coconut oil. And um, I would also pack, like, when I would... pack your blender. (laughs) I would pack my blender. I would, like... If I had to eat three almonds and three walnuts, I'd pack those in little bags and bring those along with me. Even when we started dating, right? And I would... This is all when we started dating. I know, but like when we when we started dating and I would sleep over your house, I would bring these like plastic bags with like a big ass kale leaf in them. And I would bring like a piece of fruit and like my little scoop of protein and my measured out oats to your house just in case one, I know you didn't have kale at your house. And I would be like, Jack, you should really try try kale it's really healthy um but i knew you didn't have these foods or i knew you had oats but what if you ran out of oats i'm like i have to have my oats so i'd like bring these things to your house i remember we even went grocery shopping i'm like hey would your family mind like buying some coconut oil so whenever i come over you could just have it in the cupboard (laughs) like these silly little things right and I've gone through so many freaking phases. I'm still going through phases. Yeah, you still you have this weird one now where you where you've always had it, but you just don't eat anything prior to your meal. I know. I don't. You won't like even to lick snack. the spoon. I know. It's still something really funky with me. It's like I don't know. It's embedded in me that I don't. I don't really like to snack. I like to sit down just at once and just enjoy everything. But. Like I've definitely gotten better at that, you know, going over to our parent, my parents' house. And like, if my dad puts out a spread of like a bunch of vegetables and some homemade salsa and homemade beans, like I'll snack on that. I've gotten much better at that, Mm. but just goes to show guys, no one's perfect. We're all on our own journeys. I've still got shit to figure out, you know, but I've definitely improved a lot, but it takes its time, man. Like this stuff started for me back in 2014. It's 2020. Mm. You know? Started in 2012 for me. Exactly. It takes time, right? So give yourself time. Stop beating yourself up that you're like, oh man, you know, I'm not, there is no such thing as a perfect person. But like, don't beat yourself up if you're not quite where you are mentally and with your relationship with food yet. Just keep working on it day by day by day. And, you know, over time it gets better. Yeah. yeah. Whoa, that was... That's question one done. Oh my God, we are like 30 minutes in. Holy cows. Okay, so let's move on, guys. Let's try to answer another question. (laughs) Okay, so this next question, moving away from the nutrition for a little bit, this one is about abdominals. So this one says, blocky abs, genetics or training? It has to be just one, Jack, so (laughs) answer wisely. (laughs) I definitely think more of it's genetics and... I certainly know people myself who just have blocky abs and I rarely see people who have less favorable abdominals and then have blocky abs. Mm-hmm. And like, I think Tierra and myself, we don't have the most favorable ab genetics. Mm-hmm. Yours are definitely a hell of a lot more favorable than mine. Like, where are my abdominals? I'm not even kidding. <laughs> Is there some sort of pack under there? I don't know if I will ever know. <laughs> and... I'm sure there is, but <laughs> it's uh, it, come, it just comes down. I think training does help and like just muscle maturity in general. But I think definitely more of it is genetics. But couldn't you say it's the same for any muscle group? You know, someone has the genetic potential to build a certain muscle group, right? But it's only if they actually use those muscles and actually work on those that they really develop to their full capacity. 
you know like someone yeah. might have amazing genetics to build great shoulders but like if they never actually really put in work to actually you know recruit their shoulders they might actually never see their full delt development yeah that's an interesting point but personally this is just like anecdotal speculation but i think the rectus abdominis muscle which is that which is your abs that's the thing that gives the the vision of the six pack mm -hmm. like it's so determined on genetics like you have the six blocks and then you have how much the blocks show like whether it's six or eight blocks like like for me for instance like i just have a funky one that's split in two and then <laughs> some people only have four and some people have none like me <laughs> so yeah I, that's i think so much of it's just dependent on genetics like just like you're right just like any muscle group like you some people are born with massive massive calves like someone who's born with sticks for calves like how much can they really change them mm -hmm. yeah i know so it's it's certainly a combination of both but i certainly think that you know it, it can go either way right sometimes you might even not know that you have that genetic potential until you truly start training a muscle group not just your abs but any sort of muscle group right like we're, we're coaches and we've been personal trainers for years now and we've certainly seen people develop, right? Someone who comes, you know, with quite stick figure legs or, you know, quite stick figure arms, you start training and you're like, whoa, your quads are really developing or wow, you're actually getting really round shoulders. Just mm. when they start training, they had that genetic potential all along, but now they're like unveiling it. Yeah. But I think, I think with abs, right? I think with abs, some people throughout their whole life, even if they haven't been doing resistance training, they might've been doing other sports or just like almost subconsciously, they've just, they're just really good at using their core for a lot of different movements. And over mm. time that's accumulated. That's, that's a good point because I mean, my, my school used to have a proper gymnasium. They used to hold uh, a lot of gymnastic stuff mm -hmm. there. And I never saw one of the, the good gymnasts with bad abs. Like they yeah. all had massive six packs. So yeah. <laughs> that's actually a good point. And like, I'm not sure if that's just coincidental or not. So mm -hmm. again, we'll need, we're just speculating here though. And like another, uh, the, f the other thing I'll say as well is don't say you don't have abs until you get to like 10% body fat or less, <laughs> because otherwise there could just be fat. You could, could just hold fat there compared to your mm -hmm. um, other limbs or like your ch compared to your chest or back. So don't, if you have a high body fat, don't say you don't have abs because you don't know. Like I've coached people before and in their improvement season, they'll have, they'll just hold a lot of body fat around their midsection. And then in prep, like they'll have a tiny waist, really st strong abdominal structure as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, don't discredit yourself until you've achieved a lower body fat. Yeah, exactly. You just got to see what's underneath. But with that as well, I think that there is a lot of merit to training your core. You know, there's some people who say, don't train your core, right? You, there's a difference between actually targeting a muscle and then just using a muscle as a synergist, right? Mm. Uh, like during another movement or recruiting it in another movement. Like there's, there's certainly, I feel like there's almost two camps in this case. There's one camp that says just squat and deadlift, right? And you'll build an amazing 10 pack, right? Like no need to ever do a crunch in your life. And then there's another camp where it's like, no, you need to actually train your core, right? And I'm in that camp. Yeah, I am too. <laughs> I'm in that tent, right? I'm, all, I'm in that. I'm in that camp 
hopeful that yeah. it will make a difference. I think, but I think there's also merit to both, but we have to distinguish. There's a difference between like recruiting a muscle group in order to have core stability in a big compound movement, like a squat or a mm. deadlift, right? But it's almost more just like an isometric contraction, right? You're just, plus we, keeping... we have to remember that the rectus abdominis, which is when people say abs, that's what they mean. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between that and all the other abdominal muscles. Yeah. So like, you're not going to develop a 10 pack from deadlifts it's going to help strengthen your core mm-hmm. but there's more to your core than just yeah, exactly. the superficial lumps yeah absolutely um so yeah you need to it's like, kind of like saying you're going to develop huge biceps from a lap pull down yeah exactly right so like you recruit these muscles and you need them in order to be stable and strong during that exercise right but we also have to think about the mechanisms of muscle hypertrophy and the main one really is taking a muscle through a lengthened and shortened position right that concentric eccentric contraction so doing something like a crunch right doing something like a cable a cable crunch or a decline sit up something where you're actually stretching that muscle stretching mm. and shortening and also progressively overloading over time so adding more resistance if you're doing a cable crunch over time you should be getting stronger if you're doing decline sit-ups you should be able to do more reps or hold a weight or something or increase the moment arm by holding your hands over your head whatever it is but yeah one thing that i'll point out as well which i think people do accidentally or they might not realize that they are doing it and what it might result in but a lot of people will grab that 20 kilo plate and do those side bends Mm -hmm. or they'll do a lot of those twisting and bicycle kicks where they work their obliques and Again, this might be a two-camp group, and I'm in one side. I think I might be in the other camp, too. <laughs> I just think training directly training your obliques, like doing a bend with, an, with a weighted plate, you, it will make your waist bigger, I think. Mm-hmm. Slight, personally, I think obliques are beautiful. I think, we're, we, I think we're thinking of different muscles. I think you think of serratus, but I think of like the love handle. No, I'm definitely thinking of the obliques. You know, when someone twists, it's that... It's that beautiful, uh, it's it's not like a rectangle, but it's that beautiful muscle that goes across your hip and up, mm. the obliques. But I think the obliques are beautiful. But again, if I think that it, it depends, obviously depends on the physique that you're going for. But if you have very wide hips, right, and you're looking to have the illusion that your waist is smaller, then yeah, maybe don't train your obliques every single day. But if you do have quite narrow hips and you know that you have, you know, quite a... Um, just your waist is quite narrow and you're quite slim right i think that building obliques can be very very beautiful and when you're lean enough they look gorgeous Mm -hmm. i love them i love obliques like maybe you don't want them give them to me i don't mind (laughs) i i just think yeah having the smallest waist possible is going to be the most favorable and if obliques kind of even if they don't actually like add even a millimeter to your waist but they add the illusion that Mm -hmm your waist might be bigger, then I don't, I'd just rather just train my rectus abdominis. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, for abs, I'm just always going to be, be a big advocate for training them, especially, you know, if you are training them when you are in a calorie surplus and hell, you know, yeah, you're putting on a little bit more body fat, but you're building muscle across your entire body. If you have blockier abs or stronger, more prominent abdominal muscles, even if they're under a little bit of body fat, right? They are going to be more prominent over time at higher body fat percentages, right? So I think there's a lot of merit to that too. So you can actually go to the beach and have an outline of abs, even if you are a slightly higher body fat percentage, if you train them. So 
Mm. I'm always going to be an advocate for training your abs, even though I don't have an amazing core whatsoever. I train it every single, every single session, you know, and I know it's definitely developed a hell of a lot more compared to when I used to just run and not train my core whatsoever. I used to just be like concaved and unfortunately I don't have the genetics to have a 10 pack, but that doesn't mean that I'm not disciplined enough to train them. I always say that, you know, discipline's defined by whether or not you train your abs and you train your calves. So mm. nice. <laughs> but dude, like, yeah, they're just like any other muscle group. Okay. Like you can say, yeah, you'll build your abs, you know, in a squat or a deadlift. That's pretty similar to saying, oh, you'll build massive delts by just doing rows, you know, and performing bench press. Like, Yes, you are going to recruit your delts during those movements, but you're not specifically isolating them, right? Like you would in a shoulder press or a lateral raise. The same thing could go for calves, right? You could say, oh, you use your calves, you know, during a squat or during, during a lunge. It's like, yeah, sure, I use them, but there's a very different, there's a big difference between, you know, just using a muscle as a synergist during a movement and actually isolating that muscle and taking it through that full eccentric and concentric contraction, right? Like, ah, and if anyone doesn't know what I mean by synergist, so when you have muscle groups, right? So you have an agonist, which is the prime mover. You have the synergist, which is the assisting mover. And then you have your antagonist, which is the muscle group that opposes that movement. So imagine you're doing a bicep curl, right? You've got your biceps brachy, and that's the agonist, so the prime mover. And then you've got some synergists, right? So for example, the brachioradialis and the brachialis. So they're the assisting muscles in that movement. But then you've got the antagonist, which would be your triceps, right? So there, that's just an example, but you've always got agonists, synergists, and antagonists in certain movements. But yeah, uh, the main thing is train every muscle group, man, if you really wanna see full growth and development in that muscle. Yep, I agree. And the same applies for every muscle, like taking it through its full range of motion. Mm -hmm. And if you don't train something, then it's not going to grow. So that's um, a lesson in itself. Yes, exactly. Literally train to grow. But yeah, guys, uh, we haven't answered many questions today. I think we answered like two, but hopefully you enjoyed this podcast. But, you know, before we head off, one thing that we learned this week. So Jack, what did you learn this week? Cool. So just to clarify, we will be doing another Q&A next week where we'll answer more than two. And yeah, so something that I learned. So I actually learned the origin of the marathon race in the Olympics. And it actually was derived from this guy. He was this Greek um, hoplite, which is like a warrior in in I think like four to 500 BC. Mm-hmm. And there was this battle between Greece and Persia Mm -hmm. and he basically ran from the site which was called Marathon it was a battle of Marathon and then he ran back to Athens which was it was like an absurd distance and then he needed to tell everyone in Athens that they were victorious and that there was another Persian force coming and he ran that distance in like a record time like a crazy time and he died when he got to Athens because he 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 ran so hard because he saved wow. the city of Athens. Oh my gosh. And you can look him up. He's called Phidippides. And um, if you just go, try and spell Phidippides and just say marathon after, and it'll tell you the you story. How do you spell Phidippides? Is that with an F or it's a with PH? A PH. Okay. P-H-E-I something. Okay, cool. Phidippides. That's really cool. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's, and he sacrificed himself. I hope he literally had the run of his life. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's an 
internet i've always been interested in like i did ancient history in in high school and Mm -hmm. yeah that's something that's kind of coming back a bit now that i finished uni just have more time to invest in other interests Mm -hmm. yeah well ancient greece is fascinating and uh over the last two nights on amazon prime we have been watching troy right uh i love that movie man they just don't make movies like that anymore they don't Mm. make movies like troy like you know 300 armageddon right pearl harbor titanic they don't make movies like that anymore what the hell you know like ugh. i just feel like it's a lot of avengers type marvel stuff yeah that's kind of the equivalent I now i feel like some of the best movies peaked you know in like you know in like the 1990s and early 2000s no joke but yeah they're just not the same anymore it's too bad that's my um that's my finger at hollywood <laughs> <laughs> but what did you learn this week uh this week so i actually learned something from the dr carl podcast so we've talked about this quite a few times but again if you guys don't listen to the dr carl podcast please look it up from Triple J. Um, like you can find it on any podcast channel, even though Triple J is a radio station here in Australia. But anyway, Science Hour with Dr. Carl, they just did this special segment uh, where they did an episode with an astronaut. What was her name again? Kathy Sullivan. Kathy Sullivan. So she was the first woman to ever be in space, right? And ever do a moonwalk, which is pretty freaking amazing. The she- moonwalk or a moonwalk? Um, well, maybe she'd say, I did the moonwalk. <laughs> she, she made this joke. She's like, you want to make sure your first moonwalk's really good. So they ask you to come back and do it again. <laughs> Actually, I like it when, cause, um, they asked her, what do you have to say to flat earthers? And I, she said, trust me, I've seen it. It's, it's round. <laughs> <laughs> Literally this woman's been down to the bottom of the Marianas trench too. It's so freaking cool. But Anyway, she did this awesome podcast on the Dr. Carl podcast. But something that I learned is that ever since the 2nd of November 2000, the entire human race as a actually hasn't been on planet earth you know so ever since the 2nd of november 2000 we've actually had human beings up in space um in the international space station and that's actually something i learned like i didn't i thought obviously i know about the international space station that people come and go but i didn't realize that there's always people up there for the last 20 years so that's amazing and they would be coming up to their 20th year anniversary for that so freaking amazing so cool so yeah not everyone is on the planet guys just Mm. heads up i wonder if they'll ever kind of make it into what you see in the movies where it's like it's basically like living in a house but on the space station Mm -hmm. because i still imagine it as being like lots of control panels or lots of all that kind of stuff like yeah they need to they just need to make artificial (laughs) gravity pimp my space station We need to get those guys up in there. They've pimped my ride. That was such a cool show. But if they start pimping space stations, that'd be pretty awesome too. Mm. Give it, give it about a thousand years. <laughs> yeah, it'll we'll, we'll make it. <laughs> I don't know if we'll be there to see it, but I hope my great great grandchildren are. Anyway, guys, that is the end of episode 84. Thanks so much for tuning in and hearing about all of our discussions. If you did enjoy it, please remember to take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag Jack, tag myself, tag the bodybuilding dietitians, and we will catch you next week. See you guys.